0: Good morning, yay, good morning. And you know what? Y'all have been sitting for a little while, right? Okay, get up, stand up, come on. All right, we're gonna raise our arms, wiggle our fingers, lean over this way. Good, Good stretch guys, come on, come on guys, good stretch. Okay, this way, I don't see the fingers wiggling. You back there, I see you at the back row, your fingers aren't wiggling, wiggle those fingers. Okay, now roll the shoulders, roll the shoulders, roll your neck a little bit. Now let's take a deep breath in, let it out. Another deep breath in, and let it out. All right, thank you. Thank you very much. So now that we're all relaxed and present with each other, I wanted to start by sharing my story. Um, I was so grateful for Artie's introduction because he shared a little bit of my history and my family and uh, the great grandmother that he was referring to uh, is Nanette Ford. And she is very, very dear to me and the stories about her are very dear to me. And that's kind of where I came from, right? First and foremost, I am an artist and it has taken me years to be able to say that <laughs> up front, that I'm an artist. But my great grandfather, Alan Jones, was in a minstrel show in the South, Alan Jones and his seven brown babies. So uh, I grew up from hearing those stories from Poppy, his son. And Poppy, my grandfather, was in a blues quartet in the 1930s and 40s called the Delta Rhythm Boys. And for those of you who don't know the Delta Rhythm Boys, who's seen Rain Man, anyone? Rain Man, yeah? Okay, so there's a version of Dry Bones on the soundtrack. That's their version of Dry Bones. So I was raised by a mother who was raised by an entertainer. And music, music and storytelling was such a a deep part of the way that I was raised. And so I kind of saw everything through the lens of storytelling. And one of the stories of my upbringing was food. One of the things I tend to ask people in my line of work is, what what was your first food story? What was the first time you can remember food? So my first food story is actually before I can remember the stories from my mother about how well she prepared her diet and how well she prepared her body before conception, (laughs) during pregnancy, and while she was breastfeeding me. That is all I heard growing up was that I was prepared for, and what she put in her body was tip-top, so her baby could be tip-top. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so uh, how, do you, how do you go wrong when you start out like that? That's what I'd like to know. And so that was my mom, right? And there was also the whole, like, not really aspirin, when you have a headache, are you thirsty, here's a tincture, here, drink the wheatgrass, it's making you throw up, well, here's a brown paper bag, it's good for you, drink it, right? <laughs> and then with my dad, it was begging him for sugar, begging him. Daddy, we don't like that raisin bran. Can we get the raisin bran with the sugar crystals on it? Please, please. Every day, for lunch, every day in the third grade, I had a peanut butter sandwich, an orange, and a juice box. He was dead serious about it. But daddy, we're, we're hungrier than that. Can we get some fruit stacks? No, you can get another orange though. That's what you can get. And if you're good, I'll throw in an apple. How about that variety? <laughs> so what we put into our bodies when I was a kid was the, of the utmost importance. And something that I started to realize when I got a little older was the fact that not everybody ate that way. And it's not that we were in a vacuum. I do remember the fact that on Wednesdays, McDonald's had the, you know, the 29-cent Hamburgers. And you know, on Sundays, it was a 39-cent cheeseburgers, And then the Shasta cooler outside Ralph's would sell the 25-cent sodas. I had that meal, too. Trust. I had that meal, too. But when it occurred to me that being able to do that as a joy on the weekends and then come home to brown rice, baked chicken, and vegetables actually kept us healthy, moderation was the name of the game for us. And something started to click for me when I was a teenager about how many people in my family had diabetes. And it was just normal, you know? Oh, you know, now Auntie has it. Well, what's wrong with Poppy's legs? He has diabetes. What does that have to do with his legs? That was my healthcare education when I was a teenager. Why Why did Aunt Mildred's leg get amputated? Diabetes. What's wrong with Uncle Bate? <laughs> Diabetes. And over and over and over and over again in my family. And it hit me so hard. It was, I was imagining my mother's journey as she watched her aunts and uncles suffer from these diet-related diseases. So the fact that she used to joke with us about how she prepared for us was so much deeper to her It was so much deeper to her than bragging rights. She wanted us to live. She wanted us to live. And so that is the care and the love that I come from in my family. And when it comes to being raised as a social justice person, what do they do? They run a foster family agency. That's my parents, I grew up with foster brothers. I saw the divide. I saw why some kids don't have parents I saw why some parents can't raise their kids, many times to no fault of their own. So what to do with all of that, what to do? I was spinning, I was spinning, (laughs) trying to figure out what to do with all of that. And when I got to college, I found sustainability because it seemed like the best of both worlds, right? I could do water, I could do climate, I could do food, I could do justice, I could do it all, because I am a, I am an eco-spiritualist hippie, like really. At the core, I know I look like this, but uh, you know, I'm like, I would live in a hobbit hole, hobbit hut if I really could, right? And build a cob and you know, mix the goat poop with my feet. Like, I love that stuff, let me tell you. So that's who I was in college, you know, jumping into Zaka Lake naked at the retreats with all the cool white folks with the dreadlocks and not flushing the toilet. Like, that was all me. But, you know, four years later, being the only black person in a statewide coalition of sustainability folks, was a little rough, a little rough. Um, and it actually reminded me of when I was a kid and how all I wanted to be when I was like seven or eight was an environmentalist, right? I watched Captain Planet. You know know about Captain Planet, right? I know there's some young folks in the audience who may be a little young, so I may have to school you real quick. Cause Captain Planet, he's a hero, gonna take pollution down to zero. Remember that? Remember that? Yeah, I knew knew you remembered that. And in Captain Planet, there was the black kid, and the, the yellow kid, and the white kid, and the red kid, and they were all fighting environmental pollution people together, right? I was like, yeah, that's gonna be me. I'm gonna have my team. And then I tried to find the black and the brown and the yellow and the red. In environmentalism, I was hella confused. I was like, what happened to Captain Planet? Where did it go? So when I got to college, I remember that, and I was like, okay, so I'm gonna split my time between sustainability and the African Student Union. But it was like this, this split that I would go through, right? I would go over here to sustainability and be, you know, drum circles and love and mushrooms, and then I would go over here. No, okay, the kind you put in the ground, to be clear, right? The ones that soak up the oil, that's the mushrooms we're talking about. Then I would come back over here. Then I would come back over here to the African Student Union and be listening to hip hop and talking about the legacy of slavery and and you know and the and and the, and the breastfeeding and the breastfeeding is when we were slave and then the, and this connection to white people and you know all of that right But then sometimes I would forget where I was and I would come over here to the black folks and get the flush of toilet and they would be like Girl you nasty what you doing and I would be like, oh,
1: oh, that's right,
0: you know? Or I'd go over to the sustainability crowd and be listening to Busta Rhymes or something super offensive, right? And they would just be like, that's offensive to women. So I didn't, I didn't know my place. All of that was to say, I was really busy searching for my place. I didn't know where to live. I didn't know where to be. I didn't know what to do. And then I met this incredible human being named Van Jones um, who came to speak at my college and started his speech by saying, this is the presentation Al Gore would have made had he been black. <laughs> Say, what? I'll take that speech. That's the one. That's the one I want. So. That's when I moved up to the Bay Area to work at Green For All, and I was in climate and energy for a little bit, but I, st- I remembered the food thing, you know? I-, I remembered my heart. And when Van went to work at the White House, I had to go through this moment of really figuring out where I was gonna be. There was an article in um, Time Magazine, I think in 2010, about how all of, how, not all of, but quite a few environmentalists were jumping ship <laughs> into the food movement. That was me. I was, I was one of those that the article was referring to. And so I went to work in food. And speaking of food, one of the things I love about food is that it, it's grounding. It calls for presence. And when I'm present to the moment right now, we're in one of our cycles as a country where we're fairly divided, or at least that's how I feel. It's hard for me to know who's telling the truth. I I feel angry sometimes. I shake when I listen to the radio. I get scared for our president. There's all these things that I feel and I, I feel like when I talk to people, what I hear is that we don't trust each other. The hundreds of millions of us that live in this country we're actually brothers and sisters in the same way that we're brothers and sisters with everyone in the world. But, we are. But we're not feeling that family love right now. We don't trust each other, we're lying to each other, to each other, not just one or the other. And we're not vulnerable. We've lost our vulnerability and we've lost our trust. And a lot of us are terrified that's what I feel right now. And all I can think about is what can restore that kind of trust, <laughs> if we ever had it. But how, did, how can millions of people who are so different from each other, trust each other? What is it gonna take to heal the breakdown that's happening right now? Food. That's where I go in my mind. Because if you look at food, food is this beautiful way of building community. And it feels so simple, but trust, this is complicated. Right? Because it goes from family to community to everybody else, as far as I'm concerned. All you guys to do is start with family. Y'all going home for Thanksgiving, right? Mm-hmm. You know that honor uncle I'm talking about, the one that you just don't get into that political conversation with? You know who I'm talking about. Maybe try over some darn good food. That's helped me a lot when I realized that if I can't talk to my family, my family, if I can't talk to my family, How in the world am I going to talk to my brothers and sisters who live in different cities in different areas that I don't understand if I can't understand my family? So part of my activism now is family activism and using the dinner table and family gatherings as spaces to test and practice my ability to love deeply and fiercely. Because if I can do that, then I can actually go to people's grocery and do some work, right? And not be a hypocrite. Not to say that if you don't get along with every cousin and aunt and uncle, and you go out and try to love people, you're a hypocrite. It's just a darn good place to practice. That's all I'm saying. So then when it comes to community, right, and people's grocery, I inherited people's grocery from Brahm, Amadi and Malaika Edwards, many of whom you know, yes, yes, they are kind of, they're the legacy that I come from. And People's Grocery was this incredible organization that I looked up to when I first got there. And when Brahm asked me to apply to be the executive director, I thought he must be crazy. <laughs> what? I can't do that. <laughs> I don't know what it takes to be an executive director. But one of the beautiful things about People's Grocery is its commitment to the next generation of leadership. Brahm said, you can do it. I was no older than you when I started this organization. And if we can't have a young black woman who I know can do a darn good job at this, be the executive director, then what the heck are we here for? Period. And I've never forgotten that. Their faith in me and their trust in me is the only reason I'm standing on this stage. My mentors Van and Phaedra and everyone else who trained me. And so I feel like that's kind of the spirit of people's grocery. That's what it does. It's this, this place in the middle of West Oakland that spreads love and spreads joy, brings the community together to celebrate. I can talk about all the nitty gritty and the, the what we do around the food enterprise and public health and health projects, but I feel what's really important about what we do is how we do it. That's what people know about people's grocery. Usually when I ask people what you think we do, oh, the market, right? The wheels, the one on wheels, mobile market, that was great, that's great. Now yeah, we shut the mobile market down, what, 2008? Like <laughs> <laughs> Done a lot since then. What we do is wonderful, but how we do it is what people remember. Because people's grocery has got heart. We have got soul. And we love. We try to bring people together across difference and make sure all of us can build a healthy food system together. And part of building that community is the fact that that is the way to actually heal what's going on in our country right now. Bring people together over dinner, talk to each other, laugh, learn, love. That's what we do at People's Grocery, and that's actually what food justice is about. Everyone I know who works in food justice, at their core, knows that's what the work is about. And speaking of food justice, there's a lot of my food justice partners in the room. If you work in food justice, can you stand up? Come on, I know there's a lot more of you. Come on, come on. Give these folks a hand. Because it's hard. It is hard to do this work sometimes. But one of the reasons why, one of the connections about why I do it is because it brings together everything that I am, the part of me that watched my foster brother get murdered when I was 15. It's that part of me. The part of me that hears the stories about my interracial great-grandparents who had to flee the South to be together. Because a white man and a black woman back then was not so nice for everybody. I have warriors in my family, in my life. So that is why I'm in service, to honor them and to honor those who came before me. And what I wanted to end with was a piece of me Because part of how I'm in service now is honoring my grandfather and honoring my great-grandfather with song. And he was the one who taught me to sing. I would listen to him in his studio training students who came from all over the world to come train with him. And uh, one of my favorite songs growing up was Visions by Stevie Wonder. The Inner Visions album just got me. Totally got me. And I feel like that song, it, it fully, it embodies everything that I wanna see in the world. Because the vision for the future is that we can use food to build bridges and to heal divides. That's my vision for the world. That's what I would love for you to join me in.